Hello and welcome to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a, a very, very distinctive, distinctive podcast. podcast. I am Yel Teagle. I'm Felicia Michelle. I'm so excited about this episode because this is the episode that I believe is my favorite episode of the season. Dare you say it so early. I dare say it. Okay. This is the belly of the beast job. Um, I'm going to start with how I felt. I loved it. I loved every moment. This was the most uh, Doctor Who inspired episode. This was clearly a love letter to the Whovians, and I felt loved. Um, he felt seen. I felt so Appreciated, seen. loved. I did. Also, I think that it was one of the... It reminds me a lot of last season, The Golf Job, in that we're talking about a very serious thing. That episode was about trafficking. This is about uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment in the worst workplace. And we did it in a, dare I say, fun and playful way. I mean, as much as you can bring to the subject, of course, but I mean, that's life. Life has ebbs and flows, dualities of it. It can Things don't have to be mutually exclusive, you guys. It can be more than one thing at a time. Yes. And this was funny and serious. Absolutely. What did you think about the Belly of the Beast job? So this also, so like, when I was talking about seriousness, what resonated with me is um, how this young lady was treated by a woman who is in a, a position of power mm. over her. And this is the thing my therapist told me about this. I went to therapy for this <laughs> is coming into a workplace as a young woman and how other women treat you in that space, too. And so I was thinking, oh, well, maybe she's trying to protect her like she like she said, or maybe right. you're trying to protect me. And it was like, no, this is like cutthroat. Like, I actually don't care about you. I don't care about what happened to those other girls. And just like coming in and thinking that you're going to have maybe an ally and another woman who is in a, a position of power and then her just really like crapping all over you and making you feel crappy and telling you you can't do this and impeding your success like you can't even get close to try to uh, get to your dream you know I think we all can like resonate with the being hungry and really wanting something and you know knowing that you're probably not maybe the most qualified person but you're the person who wants it the most um, and then you know a hater trying to trample on that yeah I think that uh, what was so interesting was we did see uh, Carol tell Jenna don't go in there alone don't do anything without my permission you're not allowed to talk to him privately and I I at first also thought like okay she's protecting her and then later I went oh she's not protecting her she's protecting the business I thought that was going to be the twist was that she's not protecting the individual women she is more uh, more protective of her money coming in and it wasn't even that like it wasn't even that she's protecting the business she was just protecting herself it was it was like three times worse than I thought it was. Well, how could you just be so complicit and be like, oh, this is fine. As long as it doesn't hurt me, doesn't matter. Let's talk about <laughs> Jenna and yeah. Keith. I <laughs> ship them so hard. You know me. You're the captain of the ships. I am. And I ship it. <laughs> I want it so. He's his like shyness and goofiness and awkwardness is so cute. And it reminds me of a young Hardison and Parker. Oh, okay. yeah. Because she was like very strong, like. Not going to take no for an answer. And it's funny because the she came out the gate and came through the door telling you who she was. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't think that she had the capacity to take, you know, to take you down. So you brought her in. I know this is a very strong, smart, independent, free thinking type of woman. And I mean, did it help her that he clearly has a crush on her? Like it, it that that did help. Um, but I think also, too, he's like a do-gooder type of person and wanted to also yes. do right once he realized everything that was going on. Yeah, Keith was 
so supportive and and helpful and and wonderful. They're both smart, capable people, and I love that. Um, I, her bursting through the door. I think the best part of that whole scene is when uh, Carol's like calling security. Hold on. Speech first, then security. I like that. I like the idea that he was like, well, let's hear her out before we kick her out. Like, yeah, we'll kick her out, obviously, but let's hear what she has to say first because he was entertained. And I think that that really sets up who this character is. It sets up that Hogan is as much as he is a businessman and a creep, but he also (laughs) is he you know, he 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 takes life playfully because life is given to him that way. Oh, yeah. Everything's up for consumption. So sure. Go ahead. Do your do your song and dance for Um, me. Yes, exactly. Um, What did you think about uh, our team (laughs) sprinkling themselves through her workplace? It's funny because it's almost like uh, when you ever see like a kid, like maybe do something like they'll like do some activity that they can't do, man. They don't know how to do it. But it's because some adult adult has done it and it gives them the ruse, the mm. idea. They're like, oh, yeah, I've done it. Like, so it was funny. They're, they're like really proud of their work, which was great work. But they don't know, like, really, you're being helped all along the way. And you really you did good. You done good, but you would have definitely not gotten as far. Um, right? Can we talk about my, my, this? Is my favorite part of the episode. Yes. Where's Alicia Shannon? Girl, did not tell she could sing. I don't believe in fairy tales, least what the old ones say. I was like, oh my god! I should have known from her talking voice that she had a great singing voice because she has like a very nice voice. Yeah, just beautiful, thick people. Oh my goodness, her singing was really the highlight of this episode. It was so fun to see. I know that we got teased last season that we might get to see some singing, and so to actually see her, you know, doing this jazzy number, red lip, giving like Billie Holiday kind of vibes esque, and I, it was it was really great. I loved it. Yeah, and we, you know, we got to learn the history of the juke joint and what this location was, and to then see it, you know, turned into a concert venue was really fun. It's funny because Jenna. Jenna's very very smart and she recognizes Sophie she's like no 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 I know you she's like do you say I look like I work on a food truck (laughs) like wait a minute like it it was really funny I appreciate that Brianna was like oh I guess yeah I can see why you would like I think that I don't know that I even needed Sophie to be so offended I think just Brianna being like oh I can yeah they do sure that that makes sense because you know when you have that friend that that knows somebody that's like I, I guess I see how you can say like, no one ever wants to say they look like someone else like ever no one ever <laughs> wants to like when someone's like somebody looks like you ah, ah, ah. the lumber duke <laughs> um, I want to talk about Carol and her obsession <laughs> with romance and the lumber duke I'm going to say it I fell in love with Noah Wiley in that moment as the lumber duke was it the goatee situation <laughs> it was, was everything it was the whole package well she fell in love with him too she's like Oh, darling, I have to go. I'll be back. Hey, he's royal and he's rugged. What more do you want? That is a, that is a great combo, I'm just yes. saying. With an accent of With some a, sort? Of some kind. I couldn't really pinpoint, but of some kind. Yes. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch, like, Harry just, like, take it up a notch every time. Like, he has yes. gotten, he's, he really wasn't, uh, which is funny, because... No, wow, he's an amazing actor, but Harry really wasn't that great of an actor right. at first. So now that he's doing like accents and stuff, I'm like, okay. 
My family does not support my rugged, forest-oriented lifestyle. Harry is, like, leaning into character work so hard. Like, like to the extreme. I think he's, he's if he leans any harder, he's going to be Sophie on a stage. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, he's, he's just walking that fine line. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's interesting, these contracts, though. One of the things I was thinking, like, just how predatory contracts are mm. in the entertainment industry and the workarounds. And just, like, because, you know, our, our bad guy, he's a, a predator because he's a predator. Like, he wants to sexually harasses and assaults women. Um, and that he is taking from talent and skimming it off the back. And then using... You know this poor late. Well, nah, actually, I don't feel bad for her. Carol, what that he that he uh, is embezzling, and it's all in her name. It's all in her name. That's the thing is that a, a predator. It, no one's on. No one is part of his team. So, like, a predator is going to betray everybody. Also, oh, also, oh, like, he's also a narcissist. Then, yeah. Wow. Ugh. You didn't. You didn't catch that I this mean, man was a narcissist. Obviously, he's a narcissist, but I am most focusing more on the predatory part. Of it, but yes, he is definitely textbook narcissist. The scene where he is getting aggressive with Jenna in the patio area, I'm so grateful for Parker drugging him. Right? Ugh, I was like, this is the right Thank time. You. For the this drugs is, yes, in. yes. Perfect timing. Thank you, he Parker. He doesn't get to do anything to make her feel any more uncomfortable. Because, right. like, he's a, I don't like a close talker. And the things that he's saying, he's like leaning in, and the it's just, right. is, ugh, and then. <laughs> His hangover the next day was also very much hilarious. Yeah. I, I love that she like caused caused him to have this like crazy hangover, and also like kept it going by like, oh no, I got to drill up here. Let yes. me, I got to get a ladder. Wait a minute, it's like that door was locked. Not for Parker. It's not. It's not locked. There's no door that's locked that she's ever met. Right. <laughs> the scene where uh, Elliot, it's just like in the background, Elliot carries him out to put him in a cab. That and then Elliot um, fighting all the security behind Jenna. I was like, this is this is what Elliot does. He is our protector. And I absolutely love that. I love seeing him be there to support and protect and, and keep everyone safe. He's not just, you know, punching and hair flips and jumping on trucks. No, he's he's he does all that, too. He does all that. But he's he's the big brother and he's. Amazing. Very much so. I can't, I mean, I can't disagree. I can't add anything onto that except for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really love this episode and everything in it. And we got to talk to the writer of this episode Yay. and so many more people about making the belly of the beast job. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I am sitting with Jill Weinberger, who wrote The Belly of the Beast Job. Hello. Hello. Oh, my goodness. This episode, first of all, it is uh, from a whole different perspective. It is a whole different uh, way to tell this story. Yes. And this is something um, that John Rogers and Dean Devlin had sort of started thinking about trying to approach season two of OG Leverage. Wow. And they never quite came up with a way to crack it that they liked. Um, which is an episode entirely from the perspective of a guest character and where our characters are supporting characters because it's fun and because it's a creative challenge and it's sort of a... I think it's kind of a treat for fans to do something completely off uh, format Mm -hmm. and have them sort of figure out as things go along. Um, 
we are all Doctor Who fans <laughs> in the room. And a big reference for this was always going uh, the episode Blink, which is a seminal Doctor Who episode. And there was a period where Doctor Who did basically one episode a season that was not Doctor-centric. They've, yes. they've moved away from that a little bit. Um, and they do it for scheduling purposes so that they can double up two episodes and, and have your actor off shooting one thing and also be shooting a completely different episode, which is another reason why it was good for us. Um, because, you know, our, our characters are in this episode in very slim doses. And so it was, um, so yes, so I watched Blink a lot <laughs> um, and all the other ones uh, of Doctor Who. Um, but it was very, um, it, this was really a baby, just the idea of that was just a baby of especially of uh, Dean and John's from way back. And then we had also really wanted to do an episode of... That, that addressed the sort of world of Me Too mm-hmm. and the cultures that enable harassment, essentially. Yeah. And um, it seemed like a good fusion to put those two thoughts together to have a new heroine kind of rise up. Right. Um, I think what works so well with this, uh, and that maybe, not to say wouldn't have worked in the original series, but because leverage is international and because they have more teams it works so beautifully uh for our characters to essentially audition to be a part of the team without knowing it yes um and you know it, it, i think it it shows again it, sh- it shows the way our team has grown in the not just you know we figured out to do this how to do this and we've got it all under control and civilians aren't gonna you know go messing around with it and it shows kind of a generosity and a way they kind of pivot because they were gonna do this job mm-hmm. and jenna just through her own kind of figuring things out kept inadvertently thwarting them and so they were like well, okay she seems to be on the track she's she's on the scene she's in the spot right let her try it so and it it um funny because as I was writing it um, I was like gosh this is like writing a pilot for a leverage spinoff uh, my first my first um, draft my, my act one was like 20 pages long because I was setting up all these new characters and then when we were going into the casting of it and we were on the zooms for the casting Dean said we've got to cast this as if we were casting a spinoff because this is someone who's got to carry a show. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to feel like, okay, she can do it. And so um, that was, and you know, we found an incredible actress who just captivated us all. And, 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 uh, and you know, our co-actor, um, just, you know, perfect. And so that, that was so important. It was so important, I think, more than in any other episode, the casting. So Yeah, and they have such chemistry that they're they're I would say next generation partisan. <laughs> yeah, I, we, and we you know we wanted to keep that sort of leverage feel of. You know, we're not necessarily a show that leans hard into ships. We're not. I mean, I mean when I watch it, it is, but normally, yes. <laughs> yes, but it's not. You know, it's not necessarily the default way things are going to go. Sure. In a way that sometimes when you see a man and woman spending time together on a show you're like oh I guess they're gonna hook up right (laughs) um but you know also 
you know, show that chemistry, show two people who really like each other, but who aren't necessarily doing very gender typical things mm-hmm. or very hearts and flowers progression. You know, it's 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 like two pals who click on a way that, oh, okay, there's something there, but we're not going to push it in your face today. Right. It, it, again, it, it's like the way that Hardison and Parker started. It was such a slow build to them realizing that they had feelings for each other. And so I, I when this spinoff becomes its own <laughs> series, Leverage Jr., then, you know, then I could see that happening. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I mean, the whole concept was a Doctor Who reference, but also there's a very specific Doctor Who uh, line in there. We have a name and she knows it. She recognizes it. Uh, Miss Lethbridge Stewart from Be Funky Records. Oh yeah, that's our parent label. Well, that name, uh, Lethbridge Stewart, it's a, it's a Doctor Who character. <laughs> From the TV show? That is Kate. That was a brainchild of Kate. When we were just in the room throwing out, we are just trying together because there have to be so many little things mm-hmm. that Jenna catches that aren't quite right. And you only have a certain amount of page space, so she can't do a huge amount of investigating. So there, And so we were figuring out little things that she could go, that's not right. And that was, that was Kate Rourke. <laughs> I love that. Um, it's so funny because there's... There's moments where she goes, that's not right. And then there are moments where she goes, How random was that? (laughs) And I'm like, girl, girl, you know. You know. (laughs) And it's like she didn't want to know. Well, yeah, because they want to feel like they did it all themselves. They, you know, they're big, big boy, big girl Uh kids. And, And also, I think there's stuff within your world that you see that's not quite right. And there's stuff that's so strange that the explanation wouldn't necessarily occur to you. Like, it's not going to necessarily occur to you. There's a team of former criminals <laughs> working behind the scenes to somehow get an info dump on your computer. That does seem random. That does not necessarily seem unless sure. unless you think you have, you know, gods working for you or or, mm. you know, magical people. You're right. You know, I, I think that's it. It's she notices the strangeness of it, but there's not an immediate logical explanation within her frame of reference. Elise, I want to talk about uh, the belly of the beast job. Uh, This episode is a very different style of episode, but it also includes a moment that I believe we've been waiting for since season one, which is to see Brianna singing. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about this. Sorry. I don't remember... Can you give me a preview of the song? No. Wait. <laughs> I I wish just, I actually just a scotch, like just a like a scotch. Just give me a scotch. I think it was like <clears> just a little fairy tales, least what the old ones say. It was like super jazzy and like <laughs> uh very, very particular, but that was an interesting process just because there's one thing to have a brilliant idea and then like, oh my gosh, I want to sing. And then for you to think that it's never going to happen and like you're confident and it's never going to happen. And then it shows up at your door and then you're like, oh, I'm scared now. And, um, you know, I had as many takes as uh, Milena was directing. I had many, as many takes as I needed to kind of get it right, but it's terrifying. You know, big props to Christian Kane for doing, doing what he does because 
it ain't for the weak. It's a very vulnerable position, but very rewarding. And um, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure, you know, I'll watch it like this. Um, but uh, I'm sure that I'll, I'll, I'll be proud of it. And uh, my mom's going to love the outfit. I was wearing like these like rhinestone Dorothy ruby slippers sort of deal. It was a moment. Wait, get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful. I absolutely loved it. And you Thank killed you. it. Um, whatever take they used was perfect. I'm nervous, Yale. I'm nervous. That's all right. I'll make it through. Your fans are going to love it. I know that I believe last season, Christian said that you guys both sang and then that it might be cut and it didn't make it. Is that a true story? Well, that was another thing. We we wanted to sing, like do like a little campfire thing. I can't remember what happened, but it, it um, whatever it was, it just it didn't make it, it just didn't get off the ground for whatever reason, but no one was opposed to it. But um, I think we were still, maybe by the time he gave the interview, we were still planning to do it. So I'm not sure, but I'd still love to sing with Christian. Season three, we'll um, see that. <clears throat> Ain't nobody asked me to sing. Can you sing? Aldis can sing. Let's get a little demo, just a little, mm-hmm, go ahead. Like you did me, go ahead. You know, uh, so I was, <clears throat> Ah. oh no i can't sing because you know my vocals you know i need (laughs) he's on vocal rest it's cold it's you know here's more with john rogers and we talked a little bit about the belly of the beast job so the belly of the beast job uh, and this goes back to actually when i was working with chris downey back in the old days Uh, i was on a sitcom and i pitched them a version of the episode rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead i said we're just going to do an episode where we have our main characters and then we're going to do an episode where we have the two characters that are always the side characters just them and everything that happened in the previous week's episode is in the background and they stared at me like i'd just broken into their kitchen at 2 a.m so this is 30 years ago i've been wanting to do the alternative viewpoint episode and during the first run of leverage i threw this on the board Every year, I'm like, I want to do the one where, and and I always want to do a version of this, but I really wanted to do it because when we shot um, the one we get Parker out of the uh, the, the introduction of the Stranko, um, we get Parker out of the tower. Yeah. When Gina and Alda, Sophie and Hardison announce their their uh, names, and it's the Doctor Who um, pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. The actor playing the assistant in that gave a little double take. And if you go back and watch that episode, you can see it. it's a local uh, Vancouver, Washington actor. And I'm like, wow, it's great if she realized those are fake names, but she hates her boss so much she doesn't say. And then, then I was like, now I'm obsessed. Now I'm obsessed with the idea of like some great assistant completely screwing up a leverage con because she's just 10% smarter than everybody else in the company. And we never got to do it. And so finally this year, Kate said, you know, I think we have a place to do this. I was like, oh, cool. What's the the thing? She went sexual harassment. I went, wow, that's super not fun. That's not a fun <laughs> episode at all. Uh, this was, I was writing a romp. Uh, but it, it it was good because it really did, it, it, again, it was like, okay, John, we're going to take your score. We're going to play different instruments on it. We're going to put it in a different key. And it really uh, was combined with um the Blink, the first Doctor Who episode with, you know, yes. David Tennant was in the background. It's very inspired by Blink. Dean loves that episode of Doctor Who. And so the idea of, we tried to keep the crew out of the POV as much as possible. I think we dipped in once just to make sure, because we were a little afraid some fans wouldn't catch on, because it does happen mm-hmm. that people don't get the clues you're dropping. For the, so we're like, we just do, do one little reset in the middle to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Um, but the idea that we're just living in one person in the middle of the con's life and also empowering them. 
because because so many times, and we're better with our victims than most people are. A lot of times we involve them in the cons. They're never completely helpless, but you know they're just they are not there for most of it. And the idea of saying you know if you're stuck in this situation, you have agency, and there are ways you can try to change the world around you. And it's not superheroes or any authority swooping in to save you. We all save ourselves. Uh, and so that all combined into what I thought was a really fantastic episode with really, we really lucked out on the casting. They're super charismatic uh, crime fighting team. Uh, yeah, and 100% if they're available in future seasons, you will see them go blowing by at some point. Um, they, they, that was my favorite. I, I only did a light retouch on that one to help with some, uh, they ran out, they, they lost a set. So they needed the old guy with a bunch of tricks to come in and go, how do we do this when we've lost this, you know, this place to go? Uh, but I, I did this, Sophie, you know, we look forward to your, we look forward to seeing how you do. I also see a lot of potential in you. And I look forward to seeing how you accomplish your next big job. You, you mean as in the assistant job? In a manner of speaking, yes. And I just love the freight that Gina put on that line of, you know, this is playing the other audition. It's a little wish fulfillment because doesn't everybody wish they got like wrapped up in a leverage con and they were able to, you know, maybe help the team out just in a little way. Yeah. I mean, this episode is very much uh, for the fans, especially for the Doctor Who fans. Oh, yeah. uh, the the Doctor when Who. When did you clue into Blink? Like when you were watching it, when did you realize what oh, we were doing? Oh, I that? actually, uh, uh, very early on. Yeah. Because I am such a Whovian. Yeah. Well, that's what we, I figured. Like any Who fan is going to have the double joy of, are they doing... Oh my God! They're doing Blink. Like that's part of the fun of it because yeah. we also know we have a giant crossover with Who fans. Yeah. You know, I that. mean, the fact that she literally calls out the name, and I was like, I know who this is. Yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. It's just such a beautiful fan. You know, you have the Doctor Who fan side of it, and then you also have. Yeah, and it's it's also great because our our team is hyper competent. And it's very hard to throw obstacles in their way. And the idea that just one very bright young woman really kind of screws up their plans is kind of delightful because it, it we never get to show, it was always our, our thing. It's like we should show the fact that Hardison puts 100 hours in every con of research, but it's not interesting to watch. But this kind of shows you like, no, every con actually has like a like eight things go wrong. And we only show you the cool stuff that went right. This is what happens when things just keep going wrong and they decide to lean into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it is a really interesting way to, because it reminds me of last season where we were like, we're going to do an episode about neo-Nazis, yeah. but we're going to make it fun with Mounties. And yeah. so here we have sexual harassment, but we're going to make it fun. By doing Blink. Yeah. 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 And look, and that was the thing. I, I really applaud that actor because it was, <laughs> when we're doing we're doing the prep and the auditions, like, you have to be the most hateful. Like, people are going to hate you. And he's like, yeah, I'm leaning into it. Because he couldn't be lecherous. He had to be that kind of him. Like, he had to be that guy. And yeah. to play that, oh, I'm just kind of likable and eccentric and big. And then when I get into private, I'm that guy. That's a hard performance. Most people would have leaned into, oh, he's playing the grab assy on, on mm-hmm. and And by the way, there's another point of where I don't know if Chris and I had been in charge of the show. We would have landed there. It was Kate and, and the other, uh, Joe Weinberger, was like, the woman in power is complicit. Mm-hmm. Like, that these men succeed because they have allies. And I don't know if I would have found that 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 channel. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, it was a just a. It was great that they went back and found uh, an acorn 
uh, still in the ground and dug it up and replanted it with all these like new ideas and new talent and turn it into something that again, um, not what I would have made and a better version than I would have made. You've got to see this. Come on, come on, come on. Because this episode is a unique format. It's completely different. Uh, it's a different approach. Our cast is really in the background. Um, how did you approach this episode differently? Well, this one was, it's such an outlier. Like you're, like you're saying, you know, it, the episode takes place. It's in an entirely different point of view than our normal episodes. We're coming in with someone who would be a potential victim or an accomplice you know, the the character that uh, Emily Hall plays uh, called Jenna in a normal episode would be someone that um, they would try to work into the con and try to get her involved and sort of use her as part of their their con to get at it. But but because they see that she's already infiltrated and she's doing it herself, they decide to just support her from the wings and you know, use use all their skills and tools to surreptitiously get her to do what Brianna would have done if Brianna had been able to um, insert herself into that company. So it was uh, it was scary to to get that script. To go, oh my gosh, I'm going to do an episode of Leverage, but I don't get to use the cast so much. <laughs> this is going to be tricky. Um, but in, in the same ways that it was scary, it was really exciting because Dean Devlin, our, our, you know, executive producer extraordinaire gave me permission to really try some stuff. He's like, go for it. You know, let's use your vision. Um, treat this like a pilot because in some ways it, it is, it's, I was casting actors that had never worked together to all play the leads of this episode. It was so much fun. And I loved this cast. Emily and Julian, who played Keith, just knocked it out of the park. And Gail Rastifer and Jeffrey Paris, who um, played Hogan and Carol, they were making me laugh every day. Just every take was so funny and fun. And, you know, Carol's arc of being so arch with Jenna and, and then falling in love with the Lumber Duke and Noah in that outfit, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> agreed. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the like uncomfortable scenes, you know, with the story being about um, sexual assault and, and harassment in the workplace. I think that there's so much discomfort that needs to be portrayed in a safe way. Did you guys talk about those scenes ahead of time? I did speak extensively with um, Emily, the actress that played Jenna, about the show, the tone what we're trying to achieve and and Jeff as well who played Hogan we all approach wanted to approach this with our eyes open right uh, we wanted to make sure that you know it, we're towing the line because this is still a comedy and it still should be fun but the stakes are real and that's that's a great thing about leverage you know you 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 are making fun of things where it's, so much of it is heightened and it can be very silly at times but the struggles that people are going through are are very real and very important and have high stakes. So to see this guy get his comeuppance is very gratifying, I think, and and the, his partner Carol as well. But yeah, in those scenes where he's coming on to her and we see his inappropriate behavior, yes, we did approach that very delicately and um, as a team 
Uh, the actors and I really talked a lot about it and made sure that everybody was comfortable at every moment. Um, whenever I'm doing anything, whether it's intimacy or um, these more icky circumstances or even a big action thing, I always tell my actors, like, you, you speak up. If any moment you feel uncomfortable, you raise your hand. Nobody's going to blame you. We want to know that. We, we're all here to support you. This is all about you doing your best work as an actor. And we want to do whatever we need to do to make that happen. Because we had talked about it so much ahead of time and we'd had the script and, and been able to rehearse a little bit, it went very smoothly on set. Yeah, the scene in the like patio uh, where he's just in her face, it was so uncomfortable um, and so like perfectly done in that we didn't have to to do anything to cross a line and could still see and understand what was happening. Yeah. Uh, it was so, it was beautifully shot. Uh, oh, thank you. That, uh, you have no idea how much that means to me. That was a really important sequence, a, a big thing to showcase, again, not to get too soapboxy in a, in a fun comedy show, but even when you don't technically cross a line and you don't even, maybe not even touch the person, you can just, see how inappropriate it is mm -hmm. and even if they say oh well no i didn't i didn't do this that or the other but you can see how the other person's responding and and how that makes her feel and um how it just encourages her even more to really go after him and we get her really going for it um i love the way that you uh did the the like elliot taking out security behind her as she's walking through was so <laughs> brilliant um tell me about shooting that oh that sequence was so much fun to work on um because the whole idea is that she is completely unaware of the leverage team and how they're supporting her and protecting her to really lean into her point of view. And, and I had a great time constructing that sequence. Um, I chose to use split screens in those places so that we, the audience could still be with, with Jenna. We're with her in her mindset and in her motivation, but we're also seeing over here what's going on that she's unaware of. And to me, that juxtaposition is really fun and enjoyable. Um, and I get the timing of that kind of stuff. I don't know if you notice that the staircase bit, it times out exactly that she's walking and the whole fight ends in both places just as she peeks over. <laughs> yeah. So that was really challenging. I, I worked very closely with the stunt coordinator and with our uh, director of photography and um, who's named Neil Holcomb. Um, he, he came in just for that episode and our a camera operator named Matt Moriarty. So we, we worked very closely to construct all of that. And oh my gosh, I was so relieved when it worked. <laughs> yeah. How do you shoot that? Do you shoot her walking through first? Do you shoot the fight first? Do you shoot it both at once? Yes. <laughs> All those things. Um, we rehearse it together and make sure that the timing is going to be what it needs to be. And then because I was working with three cameras, one of which was on a crane, um, we did end up shooting some of it simultaneously. Then sometimes we have to just focus on her. Sometimes we focus just on the fight for certain angles. Uh, but but yeah, it was um, mainly through the rehearsal that day that we figured out how to lay it all out. That's amazing. Um, it turned out fantastic. This episode, I'm going to say it, it's, I think, my favorite episode of the season. Oh! Shh, don't tell. <laughs> yeah, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that.
Let's tap in with co-showrunner Kate Rourke about switching up the format for this week's episode. It's such an interesting story in terms of structure because it is a story where we are completely in the victim's perspective uh, and we are not spending any time at all with our characters necessarily. So it's a lot of fun to watch our, our central character her uh, discover our guys as they go along. I think that, I, I hope that people will uh, enjoy this, this slight shift in storytelling format. Uh, I absolutely loved it. As a Whovian, I was obsessed with it, um, but also <laughs> just like, it's so interesting and it it does make sense, right? That if they're yeah. constantly doing these things and literally using Doctor Who names, somebody, somebody it's not like- to figure it out. <laughs> it's not like it's a small show no one's heard of. It's kind of a huge global phenomenon that's been going on for almost 60 years. So of course, shot, somebody, <laughs> of course somebody has picked up on it. No, nobody um, evil would have known it. That's the thing. Nobody evil actually watches Doctor Who. Um. And this season, I feel like Harry also was very shenanigan heavy. Um, he like leans so hard into his characters this year. I feel like he's, well, he's, he's not a freshman anymore. He knows the lay of the land. And he's also sort of found in the, in the first season, he's found relief from his guilt. Um, so now he can sort of be a little bit freer with his with his intentions, with his with the way that he plays the roles, I guess. Last season when he was all dressed up as like George R. R. Martin, he walks in and like turn around and has to leave. And this season he got to like do the mustache and do the beard <laughs> and do the lumber do like he got to really do it all. Um, oh, the Lumberduke. The Lumberduke is my favorite. He's on screen for 45 seconds, but he's the best. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's discuss the Lumberduke. Rumor has it that you come from a background of writing romance novels. Uh, that's not a rumor. It's pretty well known. I'm pretty sure it's in my like Twitter bio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, how did this take so long to get put into the show is what I mean. Well, I, I feel like, first of all, this is... Um, it, it's, <laughs> the Lumberduke was an impetus from the, from the room more than anything else. And it's the realization that there is a specific type within, um, within romances that there's a, there's a prince who's pretending not to be a prince and, and being very rugged. And, um, and we named him Lumberduke and then I Googled it and nobody had taken the name. So I really should have trademarked it. I, I feel like I've missed that boat. Um, but, uh, it's, I don't know. We just had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did, did everyone turn to you as the expert or, or did they all know? First of all, it, I, I feel like this is romance is such a huge genre and it's so ubiquitous and it's, um, and so many people enjoy it that you don't need, you know, somebody who's written one to be an expert. You've got, there are plenty of people in the world who are very well aware of it. Um, so like there are Hallmark movies, there are, uh, there's, there's everything in under, under the sun that can be a story, can be a romance. Um, so no, they didn't need me. <laughs> they didn't need me for that. <laughs> I, I'm sure it was very helpful to have you there. <laughs> 
<clears throat> I'm a lumberduke and I'm okay. That's the one. All right. In the belly of the beast job, we have this <clears throat> lumberduke. Um, the lumberduke was born in the writer room. When... <laughs> I don't know what episode they wanted to plug it into, but they kept coming up like, we want to see Harry be like a rich Canadian woodsy <laughs> Russian aristocrat. Like, uh, it was just this sort of like we were all getting giddy one day and they came up with this character of the Lumberduke. And we're like, well, maybe this is a job for the Lumberduke. And no, nope, he doesn't play in that one. Maybe this is a job for not, and then it still doesn't work. And then suddenly in the belly of the beast came around and it was like, ah. I think we could use Lumberduke here. Yeah. And suddenly Lumberduke made it onto the page. And then uh, I had my wardrobe fitting and I, we were trying to discuss how a Lumberduke might dress. And we came up with the idea of, of having it be a you know, flannel woodsman shirt, but cut the sleeves off, right. but also put a gold brocade on the sleeve, you know, and all those sort of funny touches. And then uh, I got the beard and the mustache. And then uh, the voice found its way into me, and um, the rest is cinematic history. Um, this character is so, so specific. And so, I was like, oh, I know exactly who this is. It's just, I've, seen, I've seen it. I've seen this movie. I know who this guy is. Um, he is so funny. Oh, I thought you were going to reference an actual movie. Did I steal no, it from no, something? No, oh. no, no. Yeah, I think he deserves a little bit more screen time, don't you, down the line? <laughs> I would love... <laughs> I just, it reminded me so much of um, last season in the card game job where um, Harry shows up in full wardrobe. Yep, George R. And, R. Martin wear. And turns around and leaves. And and this is him, this season he is finally getting to do all of the characters. Yes, Yes, I describe Harry in the first season as new kid in school, fish out of water, the guy who walks into every environment going, what, are you kidding? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Sophomore year is about, uh, I can do it. I can do it. Put me in, coach. Give me the keys to the car. I can drive. I can drive. Whether or not he's ready, he's certainly got the enthusiasm of wanting to uh, give it a go. Yeah, yeah and, and the Lumberduke is, is so... He's he's in it. He's like, I got this. I've got this. I I, I have it handled. Yeah, this is in his wheelhouse. For some odd reason, this one he can own. <laughs> I very much imagine next season he walks downstairs and he's like, I'm ready. And they're like, We don't need. What are you? We don't need this. Oh, I wanted to do that every episode. I wanted him to just come in with wigs and costumes and them just, you know, no, Harry, no, please, no, no, not this time. You're in the van. What do you need a costume for? You're in the van. The Lumber Duke was an idea we had come up with for a different episode uh, that didn't just didn't fit, didn't stay in. And that was um, just be because I am fascinated by particularly Hallmark movies and not this is not in a judgment. This is actually I'm compelled by it. This mm -hmm. is not like a snobby writer thing that they have such a a very locked-in format to so many of them. Mm -hmm. And yet they keep making new movies and they're new and they're fresh and people want to watch them and people, even though you know all the steps that are going to happen and there's 
an enormous amount of royalty just wandering around the United <laughs> States secretly. Their car broke down or they want to get away from the responsibilities of the kingdom. But it's a very common trope, which is interesting because there's not that much monarchy left in the world. Right. That's, that's <laughs> the part that baffles me. Well, you know, because they are usually in those movies, they're usually from a made up country. So that's where that began. And then I don't know how we came up like we were just chattering in the room and we came up with the phrase lumber duke and um it was always going to be noah in the other episode it was going to be noah as well <laughs> you know noah spent some time in the writer's room with us this season because uh, we wrote an episode so we told him about the lumber duke and he was just <laughs> delighted as we knew he would be and so we were so excited to be able to wedge it in here and we thought it was really fun for carol who's this like scary battle axe woman to have this secret side of just beautiful irrational romanticism yeah i mean it feels it feels reasonable that someone like this would have this hidden layer yes absolutely um especially with her um complacency to to also have this kind of romance that is seeped in traditionalism and and um yeah heteronormativity and all that you know what i mean yes yeah so it like makes complete sense yes within this character yes and also i think i mean her in some ways her entire existence is sort of a denial of reality mm. because she has convinced herself it's okay to to enable this guy and be part of this really kind of corrupt enterprise and so i think the flip side of that is this sort of reality escape version of romance right um not to say that people who watch hallmark movies no <laughs> well it's kind of it is kind of like tv it's so much skill in taking that locked in format and making something new and really enjoyable and fresh and fun out of it right so um which is why there are you know 27 different movies about a hidden prince because you could watch them all and and each of one will be fun and different yeah um the the biggest i would say the biggest uh surprise or twist of this episode uh is Brianna singing so i mean elise went to carnegie mellon for musical theater um she is always just walking around singing under her breath to herself she's got a gorgeous voice pretty much everybody on our show can sing beth can sing too i didn't know that uh, uh i learned that on the date night job when she was just singing to herself and i was oh. like what is with everybody <laughs> being able um obviously christian you know, we had we had hoped to have an you know maybe maybe you know in a season three yeah uh another music themed episode where elise and christian can perform together yeah and the other thing that was fun about it is um Elise doesn't get to you know dress up and be glamour girl that much right. and she's breathtakingly beautiful i mean i feel like some of our work on the show is making her look like a normal person and not an incandescent beautiful person mm-hmm. um that's kind of true of all of her people <laughs> um but um but yeah so it's nice it's nice to let her show all these other sides of her yeah this episode got we got to see her be uh brianna but also be elliot but also be a singer (laughs) yes um i that was another part of this episode that was so fun was getting to see you know um i know that we've talked about in episodes 
that Sophie can be two characters in the same room and right. people won't notice. Yes. And in this episode, people literally were like, you look like someone else. <laughs> and she was like, nah. <laughs> yeah. But she was, you know, she was forced into the first role at, mm-hmm. the, at the food truck. She just kind of flung herself up there because um, Jenna had already met Elliot. Right. And so she put on that character and then, you know, that character was burned. Yeah. And they needed to have the other role. So she was just like, I'm sorry, I think I misheard. I thought you said I look like I work in a food truck. Oh, no, 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 not now. Um. We took a, a music venue and turned it into HQ and then turned it back into a music <laughs> venue and, and let, you know, people off the street come in and listen to music. Yeah. So. Yes, we had a lot of debates about, you know, how, how far into the Batcave mm-hmm. do we let outsiders um, and it was a debate in the writer's room. Anytime we can sort of bring in another layer of the fact that they're in New Orleans, which is a food and drink and music town, mm-hmm. we would love to seize it. How often it's going to fit in the story or be doing on, doable on a production level is a little bit different. It's such a beautiful set, the HQ set and the courtyard set. And there's so much of it that the audience really doesn't see that much of i would love to show more of it we asked you to caption some photos on instagram and here are some of our favorites check it out Thanks so much for watching. Be sure to follow us on all social media at After Leverage. We want to hear from you, so tweet us, talk to us. We're there for the convo. Hello. And we will be back next week to talk about the museum makeover job. This is the penultimate episode, and we are talking to writer Josh Sher. We have some of the cast, some more crew members, all the secrets. Don't miss it. We'll be here every week. I'm Yel Teagle. I'm Felicia Michelle. And this has been a, a very, very distinctive, distinctive podcast. podcast. 